Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. I'm joined today on Trending by Anna Kate, who is known as the one who loved God late, according to her uh, social media and Twitter. She's very active on social media. She has a pretty incredible story. She's only 31 years old, but she became engaged to another woman living a same-sex lifestyle who later became her wife and is now known as her ex-wife. We also are going to be diving into so much of her story, many parts that we can barely even scratch a surface on. But what's fascinating is that she also had the goal of becoming an Episcopal priest, actually. But she decided to go to college and a Catholic college at that, Belmont Abbey. She thought she'd just keep her head down while getting her degree, but indeed it led to being the catalyst that would transform her life in Christ. Joining me now is Anna Kate. Anna Kate, welcome to Trending. Hi, thanks for having me. Anna, we have such a hot button issue today that we tend to battle over in the culture war between Catholics and non-Catholics that centers around sexuality, everything from abortion and contraception to gender ideology and same-sex attraction. Well, I think much of the focus today has been on gender ideology a very prevalent issue is same-sex attraction. Now, it's fascinating because you have an incredible story, and I know we're going to touch on parts of your story today, but also get into a lot of the, I guess you could say, apologetic response to people who are in favor of same-sex attraction, maybe have a family member, because you've been there. You've lived in that. You've lived in that outside of the church and have come into it. Let's start by sharing a little bit of your story, if you would. Sure. Um, in, in all the interviews I've done in the last uh, eight weeks, I, I still haven't quite got it down to the, the cliff notes, but I'm going to try. Um, so I was, um, I grew up in the Episcopal church and I had a great love of the liturgy and the saints and of Mary and a lot of things that would set the stage for me later to become Catholic. Um, I was going to be an Episcopal priest Um, I was told that I needed to get a college degree first because how their seminary works is you already have a four-year degree and then you go off for three years for pastoral and theological training, basically, for seminary. And so I had to have that four-year degree. I had started and not completed a degree many, many years ago. And I said, fine, um, what can I get a degree in, in that I would actually enjoy And my priest at the time, my Episcopal priest at the time, said, well, there's a college right by Charlotte where you could attend our parish and um, go to college there. They have a wonderful theology department. Um, I think you'd love it. And I said, cool, sign me up. And um, by I had many, many conversations with my academic advisor, who is a wonderfully patient man, about various issues And I began to go to mass with his family the summer between my junior, no, my sophomore and junior year. 
Can you and share briefly, Anna Kate, about how certainly. that transpired? Because I do think that that's a significant part of your journey. Sure. Um, my professor asked me, I had an advising appointment that happened to fall on Monday Thursday, and he asked me what my plans were for Easter. And I said, well, I'm probably going to watch church online because this is 2021 we're talking about and the pandemic and churches weren't really open. And my church in, in Charlotte wasn't open, my Episcopal church. I said, well, I think I'm going to order a pizza and I'm going to uh, watch my <laughs> church's mass and then there's probably going to be some Netflix involved. And he <laughs> said, he said, I have a better idea. And, um, you know, he's from Italy, so I knew he was a good cook. And he said, you're going to come to my house and you're going to eat Easter dinner with my family. And I, I know you're a vegetarian, but there's plenty of good Italian food that doesn't have meat in it. I'll cook for you. It'll be great. <laughs> Hang out with me and my wife and our sons. And I was like, you know, I heard the word food. And so I was in. And I said, <laughs> sure, why not? I ended up spending most of the day there that day. And it became an all-summer thing where I would come to their house and pretty much hang out all day. And somehow he realized that my parish was either closed or you had to have reservations or some thing that I didn't want to deal with was going on. And he said, well, just come to mass with us at Queen of the Apostles. And I was like, sure, why not? I mean, I haven't been to church in a year. I kind of miss it. Mm -hmm. So I go to church with him. I, I love Queen of the Apostles. It's a very joyful, very, very friendly, welcoming place. And, and I love the music, and I just love everyone there. And they have this gorgeous statue of the Virgin of Guadalupe. And um, I've uh, had a tattoo of the Virgin of Guadalupe for about 10 years now, and that statue is the first thing I noticed. Um, so I start going to Mass with them, then I hang out with them all day. Um, sometimes his wife would take the boys to the grocery store or to a neighbor's house or they'd just be outside and, and my professor and I would be inside and we're about the same age. We got along very well. And sometimes I'd be like, Hey, I want to ask you a theology question. And um, that was always well received. And one day the topic happened to be same sex marriage. And I said, I want you to teach me what the Catholic church teaches and why. Mm. And I so the way I had learned about same-sex marriage is pretty much the Episcopal stance on, on a lot of things. Which is and, what? Which is, um, if it might make someone sad, it's probably wrong. Oh, interesting. Um, so arbitrary, it's based on feelings. It's, welcome is a big thing. Inclusion is a big thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if, if, if we're going to hurt somebody's feelings, we're probably doing something wrong. Um not a lot of talk about sin, not a lot of talk about natural law or, or things like that. It's, it's mostly just, it's, it's, and I don't think this was always the case. I think, I think the reformers created a thinking church and it devolved into democracy and went from there. But um, yeah, so I was expecting to hear my position on same-sex marriage was very informed by, well, they're God's children. Jesus loved them. What I was taught is that, you know, Jesus is the outcast, is the oppressed, and is always on the side of the outcast and the oppressed. And those who are doing the casting out and the oppressing are on the side of the people who crucified him. Which is a convenient and, theology, right? Mm, theology is a strong word, but <laughs> yes. And so I, I talked to him, and, and so I expected to hear, you know, feelings and and 
that sort of thing from the other direction and I would kind of decide which one made the most sense or felt the most right. And, and so he said, do you really want to do this right now? And I said, I think so. And now, so did we, he have any idea of your past at all or was he suspect? Oh, absolutely. He, he'd met my ex-wife. I mean, okay. yeah, no, n- pretty much everybody at school knew. Um, I, he knew I was an Episcopalian. He knew that my divorce had been finalized very recently. We were separated for two years and then, and then got divorced and he knew, yeah, like I said, I'm pretty sure he had met Megan at that point. Um, very, very kind to me. Not, I mean, he'd, he'd never, I had to come to him with this, you know, it was not something that he was aggressive or kicked me out of his office or anything about, you know, he allowed this to unfold in your timing. Yeah, and and it was God's timing, really. But but He needed me to show Him that I was, I was ready because I understood the answer was no in the Catholic Church. But I needed to know more than just no. So what did you take from His response? I've seen in some of your story that you were looking for the answer that seemed to feel the best. Right, right. It was it was what it was going to kind of be what felt because you know you're going to have feelings on the right and feelings on the left and you go with the one that feels right I guess Mm -hmm. and um and for and for the reason I'm about to tell you which is that there was not a single feeling or attack or Mm -hmm. um judgment or anything that transpired between us he he sat me down and I'd had a semester of Augustine and Aquinas with him at that point so he knew I knew the basics of Mm -hmm. of natural law and he said, okay, well, this is what marriage is, and this is the meaning of marriage. This is the purpose of marriage. This is the marital act, and this is the purpose of the marital act. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my goodness, this makes sense. Mm. Since when does faith make sense? <laughs> because to be a bit more charitable toward my previous denomination, your faith was something that was very personal and it's your business and it's between me between and you and God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, no, not even so much that that's more evangelical, but it, but it is something that's very private and that, mm. you know, you don't go around what you believe doesn't have to line up with someone else believes it. That's mm-hmm. just for God to sort out. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you don't criticize someone else unless they're conservative and they don't criticize you unless you're conservative. <laughs> and, um, uh, and he, we had this conversation and at one point I just started crying mm. and he panicked okay, a little bit. Wow. He panicked a little bit because, you know, he's got a sobbing girl sitting <laughs> on his couch. And, and he's a father of boys. <laughs> yes. And a man and <laughs> his man brain sees a sobbing girl. No, he was actually, <laughs> he was actually very sweet, but he said, you know, have, have I gone too far? Have I pushed you too far? Do you feel like I've been uncharitable or unkind? And I said, no, not at all. And he said, then what are you upset about? And Mm. I said, I'm upset because I'm pretty sure I'm wrong. Mm. Wow. And he he said, well, you know, asking these kinds of questions of yourself and questioning what you believe, because what you believe should hold up to questioning, Mm -hmm. should hold up to being questioned, this is what the life of faith consists of. This is a beautiful thing. It's not mm-hmm. something to be upset about, something to rejoice in. Mm-hmm. And, and I really took that to heart. And I, and, 
you know, I was kind of scrambling at that point. I was like, I'm sure I can still be an Episcopalian and not believe in same-sex marriage. I just have to be quiet about it. <laughs> if anybody asks me, I can be like, well, I was married to a woman. Um, and and I'm sure I can even maybe still be ordained with this, although Father Jacob's not going to be real happy with me. Mm. Um, the diocese isn't going to be real happy with me. But- it was convenient for you to hold to many of their ideologies, right? To be living a same-sex lifestyle, to have a so-called wife, right? To be married, right, right, yeah. living that lifestyle. Well, that's and that's the being... icon they like in a lot of sects of Christianity. Even many Catholics like, oh, hey, you're right. Catholic and you're living this rela- this type of relationship and lifestyle. People like to celebrate that as if that's an endorsement of Catholicism, but actually it's the antithesis of. Well, you know... Something that I have said before and um, not been very popular for saying is, you know how they say you don't alter a Vera Wang dress to fit you, you alter yourself to fit the dress? Catholic moral teaching is like that. Um, (laughs) That's great. (laughs) um, I'm clearly such a fashionista here in my pajamas. but, um, (laughs) But yeah, I... So after that conversation, I started questioning other things. I was already anti-trans logic. I was already very pro-life. There were some things I I was already right about, usually for the wrong reasons, but that I was usually right about, or that I was already right about. But, um, you know, there were other questions I had to ask, but that was kind of the big domino. Like, that, that was the thing that was going to have to to come down for me to be able to discern conversion. I didn't realize my professor's wife claimed she saw it coming from the day she met me. Um, but I didn't realize I was discerning conversion until, well, let's say I found out last. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I realized toward the end of the summer that I needed to email my priest back in Charlotte and say, Hey, you know, I don't want to go further with this discernment process for right now I need to take some time I need to make sure I'm supposed to be an Episcopalian so right. I'm I'm going to go to Queen of the Apostles I'm going to figure this out wow. and I'll let you know how it goes and he was very sweet I mean God love Father Jacob and Mother Amanda they were very sweet very supportive he must have loved Catholics if he sent you to a Catholic <laughs> school and trusted that you would be perfectly fine there because people in the theological world know that once you study and engage with church teaching especially the early church fathers there's usually it's to a conversion. cease to be Protestant yeah <laughs> right um some someone at the church um admitted to me that they figured it was probably 50 50 (laughs) that Mm -hmm. they'd lose me Um, and so i later that summer i broke my ankle i swear this is going somewhere i was stuck in the hospital my professor was stuck at home with his kids and couldn't come rescue me from the hospital and uh so i called and you know all my friends were home because it was Mm -hmm. middle of the summer nobody was in belmont so I did what I knew to do and I called campus ministry and I said, Wesley, I'm stuck in the hospital. I need someone to come get me. Please come get me. Uh, <laughs> and he said, you know, I'm going to the, the head of um, student affairs has a big van. We'll come get you. Mm-hmm. And they got me and they helped me get back up into my apartment because there's some relatively hateful stairs in between <laughs> the ground and my apartment. And they helped me. And during that um, episode, 
I said, hey, Wesley, by the way, can you tell me about RCIA? <laughs> As I'm sitting here in an ankle boot that weighs 50 pounds. Like, Reminds me a little like, bit of St. Ignatius in a certain respect. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I hadn't thought of that, but yeah. And he goes, yeah, so it'll start after Labor Day and... Um, you're not obligated. You don't have to make your decision. We'd like you to know by the beginning of Lent which way you're going to go because there's things like your first confession and the right of acceptance and things you'll have to do. But you certainly do not have to know a year in advance. It's no commitment. Beautiful. You just come, yeah, hang out. Sometimes we have snacks. It'll be great. And I said, okay, I think I want to do RCIA. Put me on the list. And so I went to RCIA. Um, we quickly realized that a junior theology major didn't need to be in RCIA, so my theology professors got me out of it. Excellent, and, yeah. And I you were able to up, study much deeper in school. Well, I was the the abbot's um, concession was that I would choose one of the abbey priests. Um, the implication being, you know, that I still needed to study mm -hmm. and prepare, but maybe one on one would be more at my pace. And I already had an existing good relationship with one of the Abbey priests, um, Father Elias, who I believe will one day be the patron saint of meteorologists, mm. and we'll all be praying for to him about the weather. Um, <laughs> but he he took me on, and we sat once a week, usually outside, and just chatted about the faith and the church and the sacraments and all these things, and. I don't know. None of these realizations was was like um, was as dramatic as realizing I was wrong about same sex marriage. Like everything mm -hmm. else, pretty much fell, fell into place. Into place. Yeah, well. it fell into place. So, at what point during that year did you decide? Okay, not only am I in RCIA, but I am officially committed to becoming Catholic. And I assume you came into the church at that Easter vigil, correct? I did. Uh, Twenty twenty two. And by the way, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. That's Anna Kate. She's sharing her incredible story of conversion to the Catholic faith after having lived a same-sex lifestyle, having been married to a woman for a time. She's now separated, divorced uh, from that situation. And she even wanted to be an Episcopal priest. She's been sharing her story. If you haven't caught it, be sure to listen to this episode later, relevantradio.com forward slash trending. Anna Kate, you came into the Catholic Church at the Easter Vigil. At what yes. point during that year of RCIA, how soon before did you decide to become Catholic officially? September. Um, so, okay, so you decided right when you started that program, this for, is what I'm doing, and you was, committed. It, my, it was like, yeah, it was like I had been in two sessions of RCIA, if that. I, um, I was sitting on a bench looking upset for, I don't even remember why, and um, I... I was sitting on a yeah, I was sitting on a bench outside the main academic building. My Italian professor, who is not my professor from Italy, she's my professor from California who taught my Italian class, also a former Episcopalian, mm. um, came and sat down next to me and and I don't remember a word of the conversation we had, mm. but I remember afterwards thinking, Holy crap, I'm gonna be Catholic. Sorry, <laughs> can I say crap? It's okay. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> I say a lot worse on Twitter. Follow me at RC Anna Kate. <laughs> For my horribly sarcastic sense of humor. We'll tag you and include a link to your Twitter. I'm like, so you have a lot to say on Catholic culture, Catholic yeah. sexuality. So I, I and it, as it turns out, my Italian teacher, um, I talked to her the next day and I said, hey, I've made my decision. And it was largely because of this. 
this conversation. You know, I just, I still need to do all this stuff and I need to find somebody to sponsor me. And she said, well, I'll sponsor you. And um, I'm like, okay. So uh, that's my godmother. Uh, She's probably the most important person in my life. I love her. I call her Madrina, which is the Italian word for godmother. Mm -hmm. And, um, Well, it's incredible, Anna Kate, because you're sharing just the way that these professors came alongside you, built Mm -hmm. these relationships with you, never was saying, hey, what you're doing is wrong, what you did was wrong, Mm -hmm. the lifestyle, but that eventually as you came to seek out particular conversations with them, the trust was there that you felt comfortable or they saw you in need and reached out. I think that Mm -hmm. that speaks volumes to the witness where so often, Anna Kate, people will ask, well, I have a family member, a friend who's living a same-sex lifestyle, what do I do? Well, you have to be in a place of love and actually having a relationship before you can ever usually say something. And I think very few people have actually built those relationships to do so. Right. And so a third, a third professor uh, enters the conversation. One of my theology professors um, who was actually a priest before he became a Roman Catholic and he's a lay person now and he teaches theology and, um, one time after class, he knew that I was considering conversion. I don't know that. I, I think he knew I was in RCIA. I don't think he knew it had gone farther than that. And I said, hey, professor, I have a question for you. Do you like being a professor? And he said, well, yeah, sure. I, I don't think he realized that this was a serious conversation. And I said, well, do you like it as much as being a priest? And, of course, he'd known I was in discernment to be an Episcopal priest. He'd been, you know, he'd mm. talked to me about it before. And because he's been one, he wanted to know where I was married. And I think when I said, do you like it as much as being a priest? He was like, oh, no, this is an actual conversation. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, Anna Kate, I got to tell you, a lot of the skills transfer. A lot of the things that made me good at being a priest make me good at being a professor. You know, a lot of being a professor is pastoral care. And I thought about yes. all the times I'd had a nervous breakdown in my advisor's office. And um <laughs> There's really nothing like a deep cleansing nervous breakdown in your advisor's office. <laughs> um, and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's true. Mm. And um, when I came to a point where I, I'm being pulled in two directions that don't go together, what let me lay that at Jesus's feet was that professor and saying, well, if he knew the way forward, there's a way forward. Mm. And, and I was... And yeah, and I, my first confession, um, the thing that probably shouldn't be bragged about, but it took an hour. Um, (laughs) (laughs) My poor priest, I did not Mm. scandalize Father Elias to death um, at any point during that. But, But leading up to my first confession, you know, I had these night terrors about being the nails in Jesus's hands and... Mm. I had a panic attack in the church as I was waiting for my first confession to start. And um, my godmother appeared out of nowhere, having canceled a class to come and sit with me. And we prayed a rosary together. And during that, I realized that, wait, I'm not the nail. My sin is the nail. And I'm about to be separated from my sin. And I think that's what played into a lot of my current conviction about being a person with same-sex attraction because that whole hour was not sexual sin but a lot of it was um that i am not my sin please don't call me by my sin like 
the devil knows my name and calls me by my sin, but my father in heaven knows my sin and calls me by my name. Amen. And that's why I won't accept a lot of those labels. Anna Kate, and I think this is an incredible catalyst. I love that we're kind of coming, there's so much more to your story, but coming to kind of the end of discussing Mm -hmm. your story with Mm -hmm. confession and how you view yourself in light of that, because there's a lot I want to ask you. There are a lot of, I think, debates over semantics, over language, over everything from consent to the power of friendship and these stories. And I'd like to unpack some of these topics. I occasionally start those fights, so (laughs) I'm, I'm here for this. We'll be right back with Anna Kate to discuss common pro-gay arguments. We'll share her perspective on topics such as love is love and how to respond to that and giving a Catholic take on same-sex marriage. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm joined now by Anna Kate. She became engaged to another woman at the age of 23 and entered into a same-sex so-called marriage. She separated from her ex-wife at the time. She decided to go then to a college, a Catholic college, but was planning on becoming an Episcopal priest. She just shared her testimony, and we're going to dive into common arguments such as love is love and get her thoughts. One of the perspectives I like to touch on this topic from, we just was, were joined by a guest last week talking about uh, the issue of same-sex attraction and even same-sex mm. parenting and the impact on children uh, from mm. a sociological perspective. So I'll post a link in the episode notes to that conversation. But okay. today we're really responding to this from a very theological perspective, which is human-centered. And even if someone is not a person of faith, I think these answers still reign true in how we mm. treat and converse about the topic, even if we're not using things theological per se because at the end of the day this is very human centered and very oriented right. towards yeah. human nature because god made the blueprint for the human person so joining me now if you're just with us is anna kate anna kate sharing her conversion story into the catholic faith she was married to a woman lived a same-sex lifestyle uh, separated from that woman had a massive conversion into the catholic church and that's after and well figuring out if she wanted to be an episcopal priest as well you have to catch the full length episode which will be available at relevant radio.com forward slash trending or wherever you listen to podcasts let's talk about language a lot of people will throw in our face this whole idea well love is love Anna Kate that may be your story you chose to walk out of this type of lifestyle but other people if they love each other and want to do this what's the big deal as long as they're two consenting adults god help us first of all if consent is as high as the bar for Mm. the gift of how we treat the gift of human sexuality. I mean, certainly consent is necessary, but it isn't sufficient. Right. And your audio broke up for just a moment, but I do want to touch on what you just said, how sad if consent is as high as the bar goes with regard to love. And what, what do you view? And I know this is a very big question, but like, what do you view love as within the context of sexual relationships or marital relationships? Well, I view love in the context of all relationships. Um, I will defer to St. Thomas Aquinas, who defined love as um, to will the the ultimate good of the other. Mm -hmm. And for us as humans, we know what 
the ultimate good is. We know what our end is. It's to be in relationship with our Heavenly Father here on Earth and then to enjoy Him in His fullness in the beatific vision. And so if to love someone means that we want that with all of our hearts for a person we claim to love, then we cannot affirm, celebrate, or certainly participate in any act, any belief, any behavior that is going to, that is not ordered toward their being closer to God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think so often of how Pope St. John Paul II, much of his work is very Thomistic. If we talk Love a lot him, about yeah. theology of the body, he uses many of the principles of St. John the Cross and St. Thomas Aquinas on this topic mm -hmm. of love. And he talks a lot about this perspective where we see the person is only someone who ought to be sought after as an end in and of themselves, never as a means. And right. sometimes that's what's so difficult about the same-sex lifestyle is it's very hedonistically centered. And right. I would love if you could to comment on that because people look at me and say, Timory, that's very selfish of you to accuse same-sex relationships of being hedonistic. There can be love in same-sex relationships as well. Can you comment on that? Well, if you're going to define love as affirming whatever I decide I want to do this week, mm -hmm. then certainly there can be love in same-sex relationships. If you're defining love in me wanting and working towards this person going to heaven one day, no, there can't be. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what you just said, because I think that's significant. One of the challenges I run up against on the topic of same-sex attraction within the church is a disfigured understanding of the difference between empathy and affirmation. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people have misplaced this difference because they'll say, okay, well, I have a family member who is gay. And I always say, first of all, and we'll talk about this a little first later. First of all, no, of all, you don't. No one's gay unless you're living a lifestyle that's gay. That's not an identity. But I will often say, okay, well, we can love and empathize with someone. I have many family members who are living same-sex lifestyles, mm -hmm. not just experiencing attraction, but lifestyles. And I them. can have empathy for them. I can love them. I can understand in part why they're choosing to do what they do. Mm -hmm. But I also can't affirm it. I can encourage something different right. or show it by the way I live my life. So can you talk about the difference between how many family members and friends will who disagree often just approve same-sex relationships instead of empathizing and loving the person and how that's creating greater chaos and confusion in the lives of people who are living same-sex relationships. Well, again, I mean, I was being kind of glib earlier when I made the Vera Wang comment, but, <laughs> um, but the church is not something you alter to fit your situation, your whatever thoughts you may have or desires you may have, you alter your desires, you alter your situation, obviously by God's grace, this is not something you can do by yourself to fit the church's teaching. Yeah. And I think that's significant that you're pointing to that. So is it compassionate? Because I think we can still have compassion and disagree with someone. We can have mm, compassion, we can empathize, but that doesn't mean we have to do something that's called affirming and encouraging a lifestyle. Right. I mean, all of my professors were very kind to me when, when prior to my conversion or the beginning of my conversion. Um, all of my friends at school are very kind to me. 
Um, I mean, my best friend has entered the monastery and, and he was, you know, obviously we became very close friends prior to my conversion. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, there's a fine line between loving someone and affirming their choices. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure. I can't say that there's, I mean, there are things that obviously we can't do. I mean, if you, if you learn about what participation in evil is, and I think there's nine ways that we can participate in an evil act. Um, All of those things would obviously be off limits, but I don't know that I can sit here and say there is one way to be a friend to someone who is struggling with these things or who's living this life. Mm -hmm. Um, I I do know you need to pray for them. That's obviously step one. And I'd like to change directions just a little bit because there's so much I want to ask you, Anna Kate. And if you're just joining us, that's Anna Kate. You're listening to Trending with Timmery here on Relevant Radio. You've experienced same-sex attraction. You and I agree that there's a difference. Okay, and that's what I wanted to dive into. There's a difference between experiencing a temptation and functioning as an action. So there was Mm -hmm. a great book, maybe you read it, by Daniel Matson that came out a handful of years ago. And the Mm -hmm. title of the book was Why I Don't Call Myself Gay. And he experienced same-sex attraction. Attraction, mm-hmm. lived in various relationships, but chose to live a chaste lifestyle. So what's your experience now? Do you still experience same-sex attraction? Yes, and how do you live out your Catholic faith in the midst of that? And if you could talk a little bit about chastity as well. Sure. Uh, everyone's favorite subject, chastity. Um, <laughs> as, as one of my professors said, and we, we had a theology of, same, of, of sex and marriage and class and in one class period she goes we're going to talk about everyone's favorite subject chastity and um yeah it's important for someone with same-sex attraction it's very important for people without same-sex attraction and um i think you know uh, barring a miracle and i'm always open to a miracle i think i'm always going to experience same-sex attraction i think that um it's you know, it's sort of like the fact that I'm I'm hard of hearing. Um, I want to speak to the God made me gay mm. thing that I hear often because it makes right. me insane. Yes. And I am not going to get too theological here, I hope. But there is this idea, privatio bonum, or a privation of the good, where um, what all that God created is good. And then evil entered the world through the fall. And God does not create what is evil. And evil is also not a creation. It is a privation or a taking away of something that's good. And the example I like to give is if you have an apple with a bruise on it. God made the apple and the bruise is a result of decay, which is a result of sin. God did not make the bruise. God made the apple. And the fall made the apple susceptible to decay. Okay, I did get too theological, but I'm back, I promise. Um, so I believe that God made me perfectly good as he made all of us. And because sin and evil have entered the world, I am subject to sickness, aging, all of the things that no 31-year-old woman wants to think about, <laughs> that all of these things that are not good, are not 
things made by God. They're a privation of a thing made by God. So I don't believe God made me deaf or epileptic. I believe that those things are a result of the fall. And I don't think that God gave me same-sex attraction either. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, we're all susceptible to having something about us that falls short of God's dream for us, Mm -hmm. whether that's disability, whether that's addiction, um whatever it may be right our tendency towards absolutely different people have different tendencies towards sin and sometimes right we don't realize what they are until different parts in life or we become oblivious our whole lives ignoring the fact that our predominant sin has been there all along but we got so used to it became Mm -hmm. numb and don't realize how we're hurting ourselves and others for example yeah absolutely for example um I'm adopted, and so I don't share a genetic pool with my family, which in some ways benefits me because almost no one in my adoptive family has a good relationship with alcohol. Um, Most of them drink far too much, far too often, and Mm. um, my father died of liver failure a year and a half ago at age 69. Um, Thank you. I, I pray for him. He was an atheist. Um, but you know, I loved my dad and, but he had this thing that he tended towards. Some people in my family have horrendous tempers and God did not create the bad temper. He created the good person. And then they have this tendency that they choose to follow or not. Mm -hmm. And I think that same sex attraction works a lot like that. I think Mm -hmm. that. It's very much like if I needed to stay away from alcohol, uh, it would be good for me to know that about myself. Mm -hmm. And what I know about myself is that I am prone to basically any sexual sin you can think of. And so I have to take care to, to pray for grace, to not put myself in situations that Mm -hmm. might not go well for me. And I need to also be careful not to fall prey to rationalizing sin. I know that I'm very vulnerable to rhetoric like others who want to be like, yeah, but you can totally do both. You don't have to choose between sinning and, and being a good Catholic. And, you know, I, I know that if I don't, actively fight back against that I'm vulnerable to it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so yeah I think that there are things that I have to do to keep myself from from falling back into that kind of sin yeah and isn't that what we all have a culpability and responsibility to and I appreciate mm-hmm. that you mentioned in particular uh, the connection or the example of alcoholism and yeah, it's interesting because if we look at sociology and psychology there have been a number of studies done over the years over and over again points to the fact that there's no genetic marker to show that someone is born gay that theory has been disproven I think that's significant seeing how science matches it really does match what the Catholic Church teaches, and mm-hmm. it's always affirming what the Church taught, but you show that even if this is perhaps your particular a set of experiences in terms of concupiscence, we still have free will, and that's why I'm yeah. so amazed 
Annikate, by your story, of your story of chastity in the face of everything you've experienced, why you don't call yourself gay, why you've pursued Mm -hmm. to have this incredible relationship with God and to defend his truth by moving on to study theology at the master's level and God willing, Mm -hmm. perhaps going on after that to continue to study. Uh, I'd like to be a professor. You'd love to be a professor. Praise God. And isn't that the example that so many people have shown you? So I'd like to continue the conversation in the weeks to come because I know there's much more to your story to unpack. Mm -hmm. And I am so appreciative of your story, of your boldness. It's not easy to share some of the rockiest parts of our lives, yet your voice is sharing the truth of human sexuality and the love that God has for all of us and the truth that all of us can aspire to. We know that to sin means to miss the mark. And Mm -hmm. so often I think we struggle to understand, well, what is that mark? And when you saw what that mark was, when you heard what the church taught, you said, ah, okay, I have a goal now. I can work in that direction. So thank you for speaking up. Thank you for sharing your story. We're going to invite you again on soon to continue the conversation. I know in the meantime, you're active on social media, particularly on Twitter, having a lot to say on this topic and many others will tag you there on social media. If you could briefly mention what's your Twitter handle for those who want to look you up now. Yeah. RC Anna Kate. RC Anna Kate will post that again and tag her. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. And share a link to this episode with someone you know. The topic of same-sex attraction is one many people are discussing. Friends, family members. I have them. I'm sure you have them too. But why do we have to put them into this pool as if everything's okay? Why do we have to treat them as different Mm -hmm. from ourselves? When at the end of the day, all of us are called to chastity. All of us are called to receive God's graces. And that's the conversation we need to be having. I'll be right back here on Trending with Tim Murray. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Tim Murray on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back. A fascinating conversation diving into one woman's story of being in a same-sex marriage, separating, and wanting to become an Episcopal priest, but then suddenly, boom, finding herself Catholic and subscribing to what the church teaches, even with regard to same-sex attraction. So be sure to listen to this episode if you weren't with us before to hear the incredible testimony of Anna Kate. Now we're diving into a new topic in the area of Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body, in the series that we've been walking through, we're diving into number eight of the 133 catechetical talks that Pope St. John Paul II gave, specifically called Theology of the Body. What I want to dive into now is the idea of original unity. Again, we're going back into Genesis as Jesus Christ in Matthew 19 and Mark 10 referenced back to and asked questions about marriage and the human person. He refers back to the beginning and being created male and female. And I think this is the answer of our time. If we were to throw different topics of question to Jesus now, everything from same-sex marriage or transgenderism, such as we've been discussing, he would likely have the same response from Matthew chapter 9. Do you not know that in the beginning God made them male and female? Well, let's talk about what this fundamental idea meant back in Genesis chapter 2. 
We walked through the understanding of the original solitude of Adam in the garden before Eve was created. In fact, we'll read just a little bit about that from Genesis chapter 2 and the creation of Eve here. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 23, and we'll skip over a couple verses there. This is what we'll read with regard to this experience of original solitude into the creation of Eve, symbolizing original unity. The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. He then goes on to continue after the naming of all the animals before God, as we've been discussing over the last week, which I hope you'll catch that part of the series that's available at the podcast. God then says this, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and brought her to the man. Then the man said, that is Adam, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So there we read it. It was not good that Adam should be alone. God created Adam a help similar to himself. So here we see that original solitude, the primordial man before God, and that self-discovery as we discussed last week in the series of seeing all the animals different from himself, how he was more like God than the rest of creation. And then we see the creation of Eve, which points to this theological reference that's known as original unity. That means being rooted and being made male and female. The differences and the complementarity that's significant. Again, Jesus in the gospel according to Matthew chapter 19 and Mark 10 appeals back to the beginning of creation, referring to how in the beginning the human person was created male and female. What do we learn about ourselves here? Well, first, in these handful of verses, we recognize original solitude, the significance of the individual person before God and human nature. But then we also recognize original unity, that we are made either male or female, pointing to the individual person. You, me, our friends and family members, every single person is an individual created in the image and likeness of God before God, but also with the gift of whether or not we are male or female. And with that, including all dimensions of being created in God's image and likeness to being created specifically male or female, we are known as a subject to be loved, to be chased after. This is something that we'll unpack further in Pope St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. But here in Theology of the Body 8, Pope St. John Paul II talks about the creation of Adam and Eve as significant based on these two dimensions, as two different incarnations, understanding the incarnation of the human person from the perspective of solitude and from the perspective of union. This is why God gives us this progression in Genesis chapter 2 of Adam being created first, representing all human persons. In one respect, yes, specifically a male, but all of us as well. That's what we learned from the original solitude as we unpacked last week. And then the union when Eve is created, understanding the difference of the body, which remembering sexuality doesn't just impact the sexual complementarity physically, biologically, materially, but it also refers to the differences about how our maleness and femaleness embodies and includes our soul as well. We're male or female down to the dimension, not just of our body, but also our soul, the catechism of the Catholic Church teaches, that we're meant to uncover and unravel all of this.
So Pope St. John Paul II says these are two different incarnations. He says that is two ways in which the same human being created in the image of God is a body. This is pointing to the solitude, as I keep saying before God, but also to being designed male or female. In Genesis chapter 2, we see the creation of Eve. God puts man into a state of unconsciousness. From Adam's side, from creating Eve from the side of Adam, what's significant about this is the common nature that is shared between Adam and Eve that's been built upon in what we've discussed as original solitude. Now we see that Adam's response before God to Eve is significant. Adam's response is one of wonder in many respects. Ah, the sense of finally bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh when he's presented with Eve. He says this time she is, again, flesh from my flesh, bone from my bone. Pope St. John Paul II says this is defined as, to Adam, a help similar to himself. That This is what God referred to and this is what Adam is understanding. What does that mean? Similar in likeness to God, created before God, and all significant in that original sense of solitude in a similar nature. But here's something that's really neat. I think it's a launching point for understanding the significance of the original unity, that theological term that we refer to prior to the fall of Adam and Eve and the creation of Adam as male and female. And it's this, that when Eve is created, Adam rejoices. It's the first time Pope St. John Paul II says that Adam shows joy and even exaltation. We read that Pope St. John Paul II said this is the moment for which he had no reason before due to the lack of being similar to himself, that is, to rejoice or give the sense of exaltation. Why is this significant? Well, remember, joy is a virtue. It's not just happiness that's fleeting. Joy is a virtue of God. It's a grace. If we're to break down the word joy in and of itself, it's very similar in the Greek to the word grace. So Adam is rejoicing in a virtuous way at the creation of Eve. He's experiencing already this love shared for Eve. He is living out very quickly, virtuously. Virtuously, he's living out his life, interacting with others in a way that is rightly ordered. This is what's significant in part about this understanding of original unity, that prior to the fall of Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve perfectly understand the proper interactions with one another because they understand themselves in relation to God. And that's a point of rejoicing of order in relationship rather than disorder and chaos. And this is significant in the face of everything we face in the culture today. Transgenderism, homosexuality, abortion, contraception, divorce, remarriage, all of these topics. If we go back to that simple understanding that that's not what God intended from the dawn of creation. He created us a male and female with an original state of innocence, as we've discussed before here on this series, original state of solitude, and now with an original state of union. That is perfect complementarity, not just between husband and wife, but in all male and female relationships. This understanding of original unity, we're going to continue to unpack this week here on Trending. So I hope you'll catch up on the podcast series if you've not joined us for this series on Theology of the Body.